بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. This is the fifth session in Hadith. Now we have the sixth Hadith which is narrated by Ibn Uman ibn Bashir. رضي الله تعالى عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال سمعت قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إن الحلال بين وإن الحرام بين وبينهما أمور مشتبهات لا يعلمهن كثير من الناس فمن تق الشبهات فقد استبرأ لدينه وعرضه ومن وقع في الشبهات وقع في الحرام فالراعي يرعى حول الحما يشك أن يرتع فيه ألا وإن لكل ملك حما ألا وإن حما الله محارمه ألا وإن في الجسد مضغة إذا صلحت صلح الجسد كله this hadith that advises us to stay away from doubtful matters, <coughs> staying away from doubtful matters, starts by stating that matters that are clearly halal are clear for us. And matters that are haram and decisively known as haram are clear for us. But in between what is halal and what is haram, there are matters that are a bit confusing. First of all, where does confusion come from? This is question number one. Where does confusion come from? Why certain matters become confusing? And are all confusing matters evil matters that lead us to haram? Knowing where does confusion come from? Lead us to decide whether confusing matters may lead us to haram in totality or some may lead us to haram or some might not lead us to haram. And then thirdly, what should be our approach to doubtful matters? or confusing matters. The source of confusion can come from lack of knowledge or little knowledge. You're confused about something because you don't have the knowledge of it. Your knowledge is limited. Your experience is limited. Just like someone who meets a situation that he has never met before. How to behave and how to react to that situation is decided by any previous experience or lack of experience. When you lack the experience, you become very confused. So we have to agree that confusing matters might not be confusing to all people. They're confusing to, the, to those who don't know them, have no previous experience with them, or are meeting them for the first time in their life because of lack of knowledge. So the first solution for confusing matters is to confirm that our knowledge, that we don't lack knowledge regarding them. So to learn. Someone who is confused whether the drippings of wudu are caused by urine, uh, the drippings of, of urine are caused by urine incontinence or by not being cautious about cleaning himself after urination. He has to go and consult a physician. He will tell him if he has a medical condition or not. Someone who is confused, a woman who is confused about the bleeding that comes, is it menses or is it not? What is it? She has to learn the rulings of menses to know these in detail so that she will be able to judge. Unfortunately, with essentials of the deen, people have neglected them so much that the essentials of our ibadat and tahara and things like that were confused about them. And it's just knowledge that is required to clear that. So that's one cause of confusion. <coughs> confusion can be because we don't know. So we need to ask, as the author, uh, as Imam Ibn Raslan says, 
The one who doesn't know should ask. And the one who can't find a scholar in his vicinity, he has to travel. But you have to travel to who? To a scholar who is a specialist in this field. One of the confusing things that we have today as well is we think that every imam in a masjid by default is a mufti. No, that is not the case. For every graduate of an Islamic university is a specialist in fiqh and can give us fatawa. No. And every graduate of an Islamic university, we take them by default as being a traditional scholar. No. There are people who graduate from Islamic universities and they are very, what we would call, progressive Muslims. You know, that's the word that they like about it, to, to call themselves, progressive Muslims. These progressive Muslims, and the, op the, the opposite of that, the very backward Muslims, very rigid Muslims, are not to be consulted. Why they are not to be consulted? Because in matters of the deen, you have to get a balanced view. And if you are looking for a balanced view, you can't go to extremes. In uh, the court, you get a witness. And one of the conditions of a witness is that he has to be adl. He has to be a person of balance and justice and fair, fairness. If anything blemishes his fairness, he cannot be a witness. If he's too close to you or too distant from you, he's your relative, he can't be <laughs> a witness. Or he's your enemy, he can't be a witness. He's too close or too distant. A person who's too distant from the deen, or someone who's too close to the deen, is like these two extremes. He has to be someone who has no interest if you win the case, and he has no interest if you lose the case. He has no personal interest in this whole thing. He is coming for truth and nothing but truth. <coughs> Same thing. <coughs> if we require for the witness to be someone who is fair, then <coughs> the person who advises us in matters of our religion has to be very fair. Has to be someone who is not going to twist the law for us, to serve us, and he is not someone, he's not someone who is going to twist the law for us to serve us, and he is not someone who is going to twist the law to cause us destruction. He's not going to be rigid, and he's not going to be loose. This is very, very essential. If we seek the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but if we don't seek the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you will find every, every single person who can mislead you. The Prophet said, I am not afraid at the end of times for my ummah of more than these corrupt scholars who are leading people to Jahannam. Whoever responds to them positively, they push him into Jahannam. Well, they think people think that they're saving us, they push him into Jahannam. If someone is a graduate of a specific university, we need to ask them, did you study fiqh? When you seek fatwa from them, did you study fiqh? Possibly the person did not study fiqh at all in his life. Or he studied just the basics of fiqh. His knowledge of fiqh is equal to your knowledge of fiqh. But possibly he's better than you in grammar and something else. Not every speaker is a scholar. Not every speaker is a mufti. Not every scholar is a specialist in a specific field. So when you ask someone if they studied fiqh and they say yes, then what do you ask them after that? Well, Where did you study it? How will you know that what they're telling you is um, right? 
because we li because we live in such a confusing society, uh, we 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 just go to anyone. So the best thing is to look at individuals who have completed a, a proper curriculum in a university, and they are known to be someone who gives fatwa. Mm -hmm. They are known to be someone who gives fatwa, <laughs> not just consultation. There are many. I, I personally see that many of the, uh, like, especially graduates of the Darul Ulooms and oh, Madrasas, yeah. they, they, they know their Hanafi fiqh mm -hmm. better than many Arabs know their own fiqh. Okay. Unless an Arab has actually studied proper fiqh mm -hmm. and he is known to be, like, for example, all of these shuyukh, the non madhhabi shuyukh, liberal shuyukh, who pick and choose. Like a sheikh teaching people fiqh sunnah. Like, excuse me. Yeah, that's a book of, like a, it's like a salad. It's written by Sheikh Sayyid Sabiq, he put all the madhabs together and he said this is the only way to make fiqh easy for the masses, for the lay people. And you know, for a lay person who has all of these options in front of them, that's, that's one of the books that caused so much confusion in the ummah. Even though people like it, because it tells you you can do this, and 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 you can do that. When you have all of these things together, what happens? You say, this is easy for me. Well, it is easy for you, but sometimes what is easy, for, the easy option for you could be the most destructive option for you. In some countries, you can buy antibiotics off the, 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 the counter, but that's quite dangerous. You can buy some uh, paracetamols and tramadol and all of these things. You can just buy it off the counter. And some people use it as drugs. Some people who can't afford buying drugs, like uh, addictive drugs, they, they would go and buy these uh, medicines because they, give the, they make them high to a degree. So this is legal. It is legal. It's acceptable. It's within the terms of the law. Until the authorities discover that people are abusing them, in some countries, people, you know, there is a, these uh, liquids that are used for fixing shoes. They have very offensive smell. Some of like the kids who work as mechanics and like coming from very low classes in the society, they use that to smell it. They smell it as drugs. It is. The question for lay though, how, how can the lay person substantiate someone's got the mm. knowledge to, for us to rely on? Mm. That's it's an answer it's an unanswered question <clears throat> I would say trying to verify the person that you hear about is he known for giving fatawa is he respected by the scholarly community and once you know someone you might trust or you, you, you trust stay 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 with that person it's like you trust a family doctor you stay with them until they die and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can you might ask even for recommendation. Like some people would call, do you know a, a, a mufti in the Maliki Madhab? And I would suggest certain people whom I know. Yes, go on. Um, when you're doing research as well, are there any websites that you would recommend? I would recommend, for example, if the person does not have access to an individual, to go for the recognized houses of fatwa. For example, in Egypt, we have what we call Dar al-Ifta al-Misriya. The Egyptian House of Fatwa. Their website is available in different languages. There is, yes, there is the House of Fatwa in uh, Jordan. Their, their website is known 
and uh, it's available in a few languages as well. So organizations like these that are authorities in their own countries don't like take an individual. There are some fatwa houses here, like up north in Leicester, for example, there is a guy called Sheikh Muhammad Adam Al-Kawthari. He's, he's a mufti. He's, trained, he's a trained mufti. He took a course on IFTA for, for so many years in Pakistan. He gives fatwa according to the Hanafi madhab, and it's, 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 um, he's trustworthy. <coughs> there is Muhammad Adam Al-Kawthari. He gives fatwa according to the Hanafi madhab. There are other <coughs> organizations that have got trained scholars, like Seekers Hub. Yes, yes. Seekers Hub. Sheikh Faraz Rabbani, he has a group of muftis in Maliki Madhab, in Shafi'i Madhab, in Hanafi Madhab, and they offer their service for free. You can send them a question and they will answer your question. It's called Seekers Hub. Yeah, they are very, very good. And they are trained. And Sheikh Faraz, I know him personally. He knows his fiqh very well. When it comes to Hanafi fiqh, that's his specialization, has deep knowledge of Shafi'i fiqh, he can put you in touch with scholars as well. Yeah. And that's, for me, <clears throat> that's better than going to an imam who is known to be just an imam. Because an imam, he knows how to lead the prayer. He knows how to run the community, uh, the community's day-to-day -day business. But when it comes to fiqh, I'm telling you, fiqh is a completely different story. Go on. <coughs> Like nowadays, for example, you've got resources and you've got television. So when it comes to doubtful matters, it's quite common that you get one qualified person saying he's one view and he's got all these backgrounds you get him, and you've got another person, another shape, similar thing, he gives him a different opinion. So as a lady person then, the one when you take one, who does the burden of the sin go on? Because I of, of, <coughs> of course. <coughs> <coughs> Let's, yeah, go on. It is the scholar's responsibility if it is in a matter that accepts difference. You have to differentiate between things that accept difference and things that do not accept difference. For example, this issue that we raised earlier today, the issue of socks, that's not a matter that accepts difference. It's not a matter of controversy between the Amalek. But if you go to some Madari, you will find that they require for the socks, for the khuf that you can wear over, to be made of leather. Others say, no, leather is not necessary. The most important thing is that it has to be taken up that doesn't let water in. They agree that these normal socks do not qualify for that. So whether you take this opinion or you take that opinion, that's fine. For example, if the issue of the sweat of a dog, the sweat of a dog is considered to be or the, uh, the, the wet body of a dog. A, a dog that is wet passed by you and touched your clothes. What shall you do in that situation? You will find difference between the madhabs. In the Shafi'i madhab, you will have to wash it seven times, one, with, one of them with dust. And in Maliki madhab, no, you just wash it once. Only the saliva of the dog needs to be washed seven times, one of them with dust. Now, this is what we call khilaf mu'atabar. Khilaf mu'atabar means a considered difference of opinion. There is something called considered difference of opinion. And there is something that is called non-considered difference of opinion. What do we mean by non-considered difference of opinion? An opinion of someone who disagrees with the scholarly community and he is one person against ten. We will just take his opinion and put it in the bin. Say, Jazakallah khair, we don't want that. If you are looking 
for these all opinions I can get you loads you can even find people who will tell you that alcohol is halal as long as you are drinking a small amount that doesn't make you intoxicated you will find some people who have fiqh who will tell you this you will find some people who say oh you don't have to wear hijab the word hijab does not exist in the Quran all of these opinions are there the person who has given fatwa to Amina Wadud to lead Jum'ah prayer is a faqih is a man of fiqh the person who said that you know what gay relationship is fine in Islam there is nothing in the text that, say, that goes against it is also a person who has got some, some fiqh you know they say it is too dangerous to stop in the middle of a journey because you have neither completed it nor you can say I have never started it if you take a journey and you stop in the middle you have something to claim but because it's incomplete your claim would be very dangerous they say you should beware of one-third of knowledge. What is one-third of knowledge? The one who achieves one-third of knowledge thinks that he knows everything. The one who goes to the second step of knowledge, the second third, he understands that what he knows is far less than what he doesn't know. The one who is knowledgeable thinks that he doesn't know. That he doesn't know anything. And the, the, the sign of that individual is that he's, he doesn't speak much. Just like a, 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 a pot that's full of water, if you beat it, it doesn't make so much noise. Only those who have got no knowledge, they make so much noise. You look at some channels, some Islamic channels, and you see all of these maulanas who sit there and give fatah, ah, halal, 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 what is this? You tell me, you tell me, when you give a fatwa, is this how you give a fatwa? When you give a fatwa in issues that relate to the lives of people, big decisions that they take in their life, you have to substantiate it with evidence. You have to substantiate it with quotations. When someone tells you, it is fine, tell him, why is it fine? Why is it fine? Where can I find this fine in the books of fiqh, in the traditional books of fiqh? I told you earlier today about this writing of the, the, the transliterating of, of, of Arabic words of the Quran. Ibn Hajar says in Ibn Hajar al-Haytami, says, There is ijma', they have unanimously agreed that it is not allowable to write the Quran in non-Arabic script. And then they differed regarding writing it with a script other than that which was written by Uthman ibn Affan. And that's a text. That's a text written by Ibn Hajar al-Haytami who died 970. So you have to quote, you have to say, when I write a fatwa, I should substantiate it with evidence. This is what uh, Zakaria al-Ansari said. And this is what the person 200 years before him said. And this is what the person before him. I have to trace the mas'ala, the question. And where does the answer exist in the books? Then I can say, I know the khilaf, the difference between the fuqaha. But someone says, well, la bas, no problem. But it's not. You would never have that time. A mufti would never have that time to do all of that. No, a, mu a, 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 a mufti has to at least give you ease with some evidence from the sources and some quotation that support him. Because, look, when a doctor diagnoses your illness, he says, I believe that you have this problem because of this. 
And because of this, he has to he has to make it reasonable to you. Now I am claiming something. Say, in fiqh, when I give you a fatwa, my main job is naql, is to communicate to you. I'm communicating to you, I'm quoting to you what the previous scholars have said. So in communication, I have at least to substantiate my communication with, with the text. If I can't do that and I say, there is no problem, I'm not a Nawawi. If, if it's a Nawawi saying no problem, he's an authority. If it is a Suyuti saying, La there is no problem with it. It's a Suyuti, it's a Suyuti. He's, he, like his credibility is already established. I am not a Nawawi. Most of the Muftis today, most of the people who give fatawa today, many of them, sweeping majority, and pretty much everyone here in this country, they are communicators of fatwa from their lives. They are not doing ishtihad. No one is doing ishtihad here. If anyone claims that he's doing ishtihad, we are doing ishtihad to find the answer in the books. That's it. But I'm not finding a new answer for you. I'm not Abdullah bin Bayya, who is like an authority in Maliki fiqh. What about the fact that, for example, when it's going hot, when, you know, the, the day is very, very long, there was a new factor that came out a few years ago, with people fast, you know, shorter hours. Yes. Is there an authority on that in the past? Yes. And you see, I had a discussion uh, on that with some machines, and I said to them, look, what a lengthy discussion. I said to them, look, even though I personally would go with what is, has been established for years, but this fatwa, which was written by qualified Muftis, it has its backing. And they have the backing from within them that. But we didn't understand what they mean. One of the biggest problems as well is someone issues a fatwa, then you take half of it and you throw it in the face of people. You have not read the fatwa. What these people have said is the Prophet said in a Sahih hadith about the Dajjal that when the Dajjal is released, he will be released in a day that is equal to 40 years, a day like a year, a day like a week, and the rest of his days will be equal to your days. So the Sahaba said, what are we going to do in the day that is equal to a year or the day that is equal to a month? Or how are we going to pray? How are we going to calculate the prayer time? It's one day, but it's equal to 40 years or something. So, Then measure for every prayer, it's timing. You go to measure it. So the ulama taking that in, in mind and looking at that, they say, even back in the days, that people who live in countries which is very far from the normal weather, the, the kind of the middle of the world, where the days are so long and the nights are so short and the sun does not disappear, they have to measure. One of our brothers lives in Iceland. The sun sets after like 10 o'clock or something, or like almost midnight. And in the first is at two. It's literally the night is two hours. So by the time we go there, when are they going to pray Taraweeh? Forget even about Iftar and Sahur. When are they going to pray Taraweeh? By the time they actually break their Iftar, there will be no time. It's two hours, seriously. If you check the Islamic center of Iceland, in Reykjavik, it is two hours, literally two hours. Sometimes even in Ramadan, it's one hour and 45 minutes. So these ulama looked at that and they said, Back in the days, the ulama said, if someone lives in such extreme conditions, 
they have to look at the most ideal timing of fasting. What's the most ideal timing of fasting? Mecca. How long do the people of Mecca fast? People not they don't they don't break the fast with the people of Mecca, they don't start their fast with the people of Mecca. How long do they fast? The people of Mecca fast 14 hours. So they said, okay, they count from their own fajr, from their own fajr, huh? 14 hours, and that is our day. And after 14 hours, they break the fast, and that's their day. Well, but what about the sun? Well, there will be a time when the sun will never set. There will be a time when the fajr will be completely disrupted. So how are you going to cal calculate that? It's a fatwa that has its beliefs uh, and it's issued by qualified scholars. Some people might take it and some people might say, no, we're not going to take it. Even these ulama, they said, this fatwa is applicable only when the fasting hours go beyond 18 hours. Why did they say that? They said because by looking into medical records, we discovered uh, if the, the body is deprived of water for more than 18 hours, on the long run, it affects the, the functions of the kidney and other body parts. It's a fatwa. It's ijtihad that has got its basis. Some people might disagree with it, fine. Some people might take it, it's fine. But what happens is, you don't just take a fatwa and throw it away with a, if it is coming from a qualified individual. But... At the same time, if the, if the fatwa does not agree with the ijma' of the ulama, here we're talking about fatwa that disagrees with the ijma' of the ulama. There is ijma', like there is unanimous agreement. If someone comes and says something, your fatwa is, is yours. So that's the first reason why people will become confused, that lack of knowledge or little knowledge. Another reason is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to test our commitment to stay away from doubtful matters. So he tests us with these doubtful matters to see who of us will be willing to take the easy way and who of us will be careful about the deen so that you decide to stay away. And third reason that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests us with these doubtful matters so that we uh, compete in achieving higher stations by staying away from them. Now, are all doubtful or confusing matters then lead to haram? No, not necessarily. Some of them, which are caused by lack of knowledge or little knowledge, might not lead to haram. They actually might lead us to increase our knowledge. The Prophet ﷺ talked about the shubuhat, the negative doubtful matters. Yes, go on. I've heard from some people, I don't know if this is correct or not, but if you don't know what's what's right or what's wrong, then... Um, do you listen to your heart? Or I've heard the Prophet sallam, the hadith is, we will study this hadith, hadith Wabisa ibn Ma'bad. The Prophet sallam, was asked by Wabisa, what is al-bir? What is goodness? He said, you come to ask about goodness, consult your heart. Consult your heart. You want to know what is good? Consult your heart. وَلَوْ أَفْتَاكَ النَّاسِ Now, the, the end of the hadith, he says, the, the Prophet says after, الْبِرُّ حُسْنُ الْخُلُقُ Goodness is good character. وَالْإِثْمُ مَا حَاكَ فِي النَّفْسِ As for evil, 
it it is what goes back and forth in your chest. You feel unsettled about it. Walau aftakin nas, and even if people give you fatigue. Which means, if you read the whole hadith, because what happened? Someone took the, the first part and the last part and connected them together. The Prophet didn't say, consult your heart if people give, even if people give you fatwa. He didn't say that. He said, you're asking about goodness, consult your heart. As for evil, it is what you feel unsettled about even if people give you fatwa. Meaning, even if someone is trying to justify what is bad to you, the fact that you feel unease about it, if you are a person of clean fitra, if you are a person of commitment, normally you find someone, each and every one of us has got like a, a clock that points at halal and haram. Even if you know that someone can justify it for me, you feel uneasy about it. The fact that you came to ask about a specific issue and that you feel uneasy about it, it means you want to get rid of the responsibility. <laughs> huh? It means you want some people want to get rid of the responsibility. They just want to put this responsibility on him, on the sheikh. And you know, on the day of Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks me, I'll oh, say, Fulan has given me. I remember one of our relatives went to, to, to do something in the back. And I said, Yeah, Akhi, it's haram. This, this, what you do is haram, this is unacceptable. And he said, I know it's haram, but so and so said it's halal, so what's the problem? On the day of Qiyamah, I just put it in his neck. I said, No, it doesn't work like that. Since you know it is haram and you still do it, Allah will punish you on him. He will punish him for misleading you and he will punish you for knowing that it's haram. There is an individual responsibility. As much as it's a responsibility of the mufti to give you what's halal and to teach you what's haram, you have a responsibility. If you choose the wrong mufti, you, ha you have a responsibility for that. If someone else told you, listen, this is not acceptable. If two or three people, if you're about to take a medicine, and two or three people saw you and they said, this medicine is not for this illness. And if you go ahead and kill yourself, you're responsible. You, at least what they say should make a bit of sense. Like, give it a second thought. Go and check. Possibly it's not suitable for you. If someone says to you, it's expired, and you went ahead and, and you didn't even bother looking at the expiry date, then you're responsible. You can't say, oh, the responsibility is the pharmacist's. No, it's not a pharmacist's responsibility. Yes, it is his responsibility to sell you something that is expired, but it's your responsibility that you have to look at it. Why would we apply these in matters of our dunya, but we don't apply it in matters of our deen? Are we looking, there is a, a, a big difference between seeking a fatwa, which is seeking, asking someone to tell us what does Allah say about this, or what does the deen say about this, and seeking a solution, which is, I just want to get out of this situation. Regardless, at the expense, whether it is with my deen or at the expense of my deen, it doesn't matter. There is a big difference between these two. So, the Prophet said, the one who stays away from these doubtful matters, he gets two benefits. One of these benefits is a social benefit. What is that social benefit? People will not criticize him. People will not attack him. When you put yourself in a situation where people can attack you because of behavior, then people will say, oh, so-and-so is doing that. So-and-so is dealing with this. So-and-so is getting himself involved in that. You keep yourself away. So you're saving others from thinking ill of you, and you're saving your reputation from being chewed by others. And at the same time, you keep your, that's, that's socially. And religiously, you're saving yourself 
from having doubt about your deen. You're saving yourself from blame. You're saving yourself from falling into haram. Im imagine someone knows that not doing his sunan can lead him to miss his fard. Then not doing your sunan is putting yourself in a state of shubha. Because look, shaitan does not come to negotiate about the khuruj. The shaitan doesn't come to negotiate about fard. He comes to negotiate about what's much less than that. The Prophet ﷺ said, Inna shaitana min an fi Shaitan has lost hope in being worshipped here. So shaitan will never bring idols to people and say, worship these idols, worship these groups. Shaitan will create what we call tahrish. He will create this enmity between the musallis. And this is the most essential thing. فَقَدْ رَضِيَ مِنْكُمْ بِمَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ He is happy with much less than that. Much less than that. Salah is supposed to unify Muslims. When shaitan turns it into something that makes us hate each other, other dislike each other, look at each other with a, a anger and, and enmity. When salah loses its point of focus, bringing you closer to Allah, khalas. Shaitan is happy with that. Shaitan doesn't want you to stop coming to the masjid. You can continue coming to the masjid, but you come to the masjid and go back from the masjid and you don't benefit anything. You're losing in your deen and losing in your dunya. So, فَمَنِ اتَّقَ الشُّبُهَاتِ فَقَدْ اسْتَبْرَعَ لِدِينِ وَعِضَةِ And then the Prophet said, He who falls in shubha, falls in haram. Meaning, he will fall in haram. One day he will fall in haram. Why? Because when you come very close to what is haram, you might have a bit of it. You might get some dirt of it. And the Prophet gives this example. He says, like a shepherd who grazes his sheep right next to the field that belongs to someone else. Because you can't control the sheep. One of them will run over and eat from the other side. So you might not fall in haram all the time, but because your nafs is very weak. That's why we say to people, if you miss something of dhikr and ibadah, make up for it. Why? Don't let the nafs take the impression that if I miss it, I can get away with it. The nafs will learn that. The codes of the nafs will be set on, I can get away with things. So I miss uh, Salat al-Subh today. I miss the Sunnah today. I miss this. I miss this. I miss that. After a month, you don't see the change next day. You see the change six months down the line. Shaitan is like a swimmer who needs long breath. He's very patient. Shaitan is very patient. He's patient in misleading you. He knows that you are not going to lose everything at one go. He takes you little by little. He's like gamblers. <laughs> they take you to gamble. They might give you some profit at the beginning, but at the end you lose. It is they invest in your greed. Shaitan invests in your laziness. But laziness is so sweet and creeps into you. Then the Prophet ﷺ sets us with a situation where there is doubt, I stay away from the doubt. What do I take as my default case is I deal with facts. Here is the case that the Prophet ﷺ faced. Sayyidina Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas and Abd ibn Zam'a. Abd ibn Zam'a is the brother of Sauda ibn Zam'a, the wife of the Prophet. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas was the uncle of the Prophet. These two individuals, <coughs> they were kind of debating over a child. That child was born into the wedlock of the father of Abd ibn Zam'a. Abd ibn Zam'a's father got married to a woman who, before she got married to him, possibly had an affair with the brother of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. In those days, there was no marriages and limits and things like that. So she had an affair before marriage. She got married to 
the father of Abdul Mizan'ah, and she had a child. The child was born within the wedlock, but he looked completely like the brother of Sa'd. So Sa'd came and he said, he looks like my brother, Uthman, he is his son. And Abd said, no, he is born within my father's wedlock, he's my brother. We know that Arabs were people who could easily know the father of someone by just looking at their face. You know, people who could read the beaches very well. The Prophet وسلم, wants to establish the Arab society and every society on facts rather than fiction. Because when you look at someone's features, it might be nine times out of ten correct, but one time incorrect. And if it's incorrect, it can destroy the society. If you look at someone and say, oh, he doesn't look like his father. <coughs> I told you when a man came to the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, me and my wife are very fair skinned. There is a child, we had a child who is not very who is not fair skinned at all. Where did this boy come from? And he said, possibly one of your great grandfathers was not. He didn't look like that. <clears throat> I remember one of our uncles, <clears throat> his name is Abdul Hamid, passed away. This man, he's very uh, dark. He's very, very dark. And I have never thought about it until I met one of his grandfathers and he, uh, one of his grandchildren and he explained to me the reason. He said what happened is his father was married to his cousin from our family. And for 30 years they didn't have children. So in those days, that was many, 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 many years, so they had slaves. So he freed his own slave who was from Sudan and he married her. And after 30 years they had this, this, this boy. So he freed his own slave and he, he got married to her. And subhanAllah, they said he has never had happiness with his own cousin, but he had happiness with, with, this, with this lady because she respected him and she looked after him at his old age. So he said, that's why my grandfather is, uh, is dark-skinned and he, he doesn't look like the rest of the family. So this man who came to the Prophet the Prophet said, look at one of your grandfathers. When Utbah, when Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas and Abd ibn Zam'a debated over this child, the Prophet looked. And he confirmed that he looks like Utbah, the one outside the wedlock. But then he said to Abd, you take him. He is born into the wedlock. So he, he is now, the Prophet is confirming that it is the wedlock that establishes lineage, that makes a child automatically a son of a father. He said, Al-waladu lil-firash. A child is who is born within the wedlock. A son is who is born within the wedlock. But there is a shubha. What is the shubha? There is a doubt that he looks like the other guy. So who is the sister of this child? Sauda, the wife of the Prophet, the Prophet said, you cover in front of him. Even though he is her brother. The Prophet just passed a judgment that he is her brother. But he said, but you cover in front of him. Yes, he is your brother, but you cover in front of him. It's as if he's saying, I can see the similarity. But he does not judge this way because he wants to establish facts. So doubtful matters, in doubtful matters, we don't use them as source of judging someone. Hmm? We don't use them as source of judging someone. And then the final point the hadith talks about is the fact that it all affects the heart. The problem with doubtful matters is that they don't just affect the limbs, they, they corrupt the heart. They make you accustomed to taking doubtful things. To they normalize your sensitivity towards halal and haram. They normalize your sensitivity to look for what is halal and what is clean and what is 
What brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.